Hello, South Hills Church. Greetings from Israel. Today, I am standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And I'm excited to be here because today we're beginning a new Bible study series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It was on the hills here that Jesus sat down with his followers, the disciples, and those who are following him. And he delivered this incredible sermon, this incredible teaching that we now know as the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. What I want to do is introduce this great teaching of Jesus to you and, and really start by giving some background so that we can understand the sermon, understand the message of Jesus and why it's so significant for our lives. So today I want to do three things. First, I want to introduce you to Matthew, the disciple of Jesus, the follower who wrote the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, where we find this great teaching. And then secondly, I want to talk about the book of Matthew and really what the book of Matthew is about and how Jesus' teaching on the Sermon of the Mount fits in the flow of Matthew's gospel. And then third, I want to give you a big picture view of the Sermon on the Mount and so we can know kind of where we're going and how we can be prepared to get the most out of this, uh, this Bible study series together. So what I want to begin with, though, is Matthew himself. But in order to understand Matthew, we need to go to the place that Matthew first meets Jesus, and that's in Capernaum. So we need to go there first. Right now, I'm standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and just behind me is the region of Capernaum. And Capernaum is a significant place because this is a place that Jesus really set as a home base for himself during his ministry around the Sea of Galilee. It's here that Jesus performed many miracles, including the healing of Simon Peter's mother-in-law, the healing of the centurion's servant. This is also where the, the healing of the paralytic who was lowered down from the roof by his friends. This is all took place in Capernaum and many, many more. And actually just beyond Capernaum is likely the hillside that Jesus um, sat down and taught and gave the great Sermon on the Mount. But it's here in Capernaum that also Matthew meets Jesus and it changes his life forever. We read about it in Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 9. This is what it says. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In this passage, we learn that Matthew is a tax collector. And in no century have tax collectors ever been popular. But in the first century, they were especially despised by Jewish society. They were despised because they were considered traitors. They sold themselves to the Roman government. In fact, they had to purchase the position of being a tax collector and they would collect taxes from their own 
their own people. And so Matthew would sit in a tax collector's booth and he would collect. And not only were they considered traitors, but they were considered uh, thieves because the Rome didn't care how much you collected as a tax collector as long as they got their share. So a tax collector could say, oh, one shekel for Rome and one shekel for me, or one shekel for Rome and two or three shekels for me. And so they were, they were considered traitors, they were considered thieves. If you were a parent, you would not want your daughter to come home and said, I met the man of my dreams and he happens to be a tax collector. That would be a terrible thing. So tax collectors were despised. They were hated, they were traitors. And yet when Jesus sees Matthew, he sees something that other people don't see. Probably something that even Matthew doesn't see. He sees Matthew and he calls out to him and he says, Matthew, follow me. And it says in this passage that Matthew abandons everything. He abandons the tax collector's booth that he was sitting in. He abandons his livelihood and he follows Jesus. What we see Matthew do is he offers Jesus his heart. And when he does, his life is changed. He's transformed. And we know that his life is transformed because the moment that Matthew offers his heart to Jesus, his perspective of, about people and the world changes too. And that's a, just a mark of discipleship. It's a mark of transformation that we see people differently. And we see that in this passage as well because as soon as Matthew gives his heart to, to Jesus, he then opens his home to other people so that they could know Jesus too. His friends, tax collectors, and other sinners, he wants them to know Jesus. Matthew has gone from looking at people and saying, what can I get from them? To seeing people and say, what can I give them? And what he wants to give them is Jesus. He wants them to know Jesus too. So he opens his home. That's what happens when we open our heart to Jesus. It changes our view and our perspective. We open our home and our lives to the people around us in a new way. But it's not just that, G that Matthew opened his heart and his home to Jesus, but he also opened up and offered his hands to Jesus. See, it's, it's, you could say that when Matthew left uh, to follow Jesus, he left everything behind except for his pen. Matthew, who was used to taking notes and accounts on many things, he started to take notes on Jesus' teaching, his words and his works. And he begins to put together the gospel account, the, the, his book about Jesus. And he writes the words and the works of Jesus, this gospel account. And this is an amazing thing. And it's probably the last thing that Matthew ever thought he would be doing, that an ex-tax collector would be engaged and involved in writing down the gospel, uh, an account of who Jesus is and what he's done, a gospel account that we still talk about and touches lives of people today. And I find Matthew's story so encouraging for you and for me, because it helps us remember that Jesus sees in us what others don't see, what perhaps we even don't see in our own lives. And as we offer our hearts to Jesus, he can transform us. That Jesus is inviting you to offer your heart to him, to follow him, to trust him. And as you do, he can transform you just like he did Matthew. And as he transforms us, it changes our view of the world and the people around us. That we begin to say, not just looking at people saying, what can I get from them? Well, what can I give? That we might open our homes and our lives to other people and be used by God to um, help others know who he is as well. 
And then also, it's encouraging for us to know that as we offer our hands to Jesus, and whatever that might be, a, a skill, a gift, a talent, something that God has given us, we offer it to Jesus in service to him. He can use it for his purposes. That's what Matthew does. He offers him his heart, he opens up his home, and he opens up his hands in service to Jesus, and his life is changed, and we are we benefit because of what God did in Matthew's life and his faithfulness to follow him. So far, I've introduced you to the region of the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus based so much of his earthly ministry. And it's on the, the hillsides on the shore, along the shore of the Sea of Galilee that Jesus delivered the great Sermon on the Mount. We've also talked about Matthew, the follower of Jesus, who records the Sermon on the Mount. And he was a follower of Jesus, and he, <clears throat> he's the one that, that, that wrote the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. And so right now what I want to do is talk a little bit about the book of Matthew, because the Sermon on the Mount begins in chapter 5 of the book of Matthew. And it's the first of five major teaching sections that are uh, within the book of Matthew. But the first four chapters leading up to Matthew chapter 5 are important for us to understand because it sets the stage for Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that begins in Matthew chapter 5. Now, what's interesting about Matthew is that in the New Testament, we don't find a single word that Matthew ever spoke. But Matthew pays very close attention to the words that Jesus spoke, and he recorded them for us. The point is clear. Matthew doesn't want to tell us about himself. He wants to tell us about Jesus. And this is an important book. And it's important because it helps us understand who Jesus is and why he came. Matthew's gospel is an important gospel because it is the first gospel, the first book of the New Testament. So in that sense, Matthew is the great bridge builder between the Old Testament and the New Testament. His book introduce, introduces the New Testament. The, the final chapters, final books of the Old Testament are Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. But the New Testament begins with Matthew and then goes on to Mark, Luke, and John. So Matthew is the bridge builder between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Matthew does an excellent job helping bridge his Jewish audience, the, the, the readers of his time, the, make that bridge between the story of the Old Testament and the story of the New Testament. And so he pays, he gives special attention to how uh, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And the, one of the main emphasis of the book of Matthew is that Matthew wants to help his Jewish readers to understand that Jesus is the King. Jesus is the promised Messiah, the one who is to come. And so in order to help us understand that, he begins his book with the genealogy, which I know for many of us are thinking to ourselves, uh, reading a list of names that we can hardly pronounce, how is that an exciting way to start a book? But Matthew begins with a genealogy because he wants his readers and he wants us to know that Jesus is the king. He's the fulfillment of the, the covenant promise made with the Abraham, that he is the, the king to come in the line of David. So he begins with a genealogy in chapter one. Let me read for you what it says. 
In verse 1 of chapter 1, it says this, This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah, and his brothers Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Then jumping down a little bit further in verse 12, it says this, after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abahud, Abahud, the father of Elikim, Elikim, the father of Azar, Azar, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Elazar, Elazar, the father of Matan, Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now, I know that's a whole lot to take in. And for most of us, it's just thrilling to read a bunch of names like that. But it's so critical what Matthew is doing here. He wants to help us understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise. He is the King who was to come. He is the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of the covenant made with Abraham, the king who would be a blessing to all nations. And so this is important for us to understand. Now, what's also wonderful to read in this genealogy is the inclusion of several women. Perhaps you noticed them, or perhaps you didn't. You just read right over them. But Matthew um, purposely includes several women in this genealogy. The women's names that you heard perhaps um, are Tamar and Rahab and Ruth. And this is an amazing um, inclusion by Matthew because including women in a genealogy like this was unheard of in these times. But Matthew is doing it purposely. He wants to help us understand that that God God has a heart for those who don't necessarily fit that he has a heart for the outsider, those who are Gentiles, non-Jewish, that he has a heart for those who are outcasts, those who don't fit in certain ways. And so he's making a very specific point to add these women. And it's interesting too, because you hear the names Rahab and Ruth, which we just finished talking about in our last series on the book of Ruth, but they're included here. And it's important for us to see as well that God has a heart for all people and and all people of all nations. And it's an incredible thing. Now, after establishing right up front that Jesus is the king, um, he also wants to highlight a couple of things for us to, to understand as before we get to the Sermon on the Mount. And what I want to do is just quickly walk through some of the significant events in chapters one through four that lead up to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter one, there's a couple of things that Matthew wants us to understand and see. He begins with the birth of Jesus in Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Here, Matthew helps us see that the events of Jesus' birth fulfilled the Old Testament prophetic promises. Matthew also includes the fact that Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. God became a man 
and he came to be with us. This is so critical. Jesus is not only the King and the promised Messiah from the line of David, but he is Emmanuel, God with us. Then in chapter 2, we're introduced to the Magi who visit the Messiah in Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 12. And this is important for us to see too because Jesus, the name Jesus, means the Lord saves. That he is, but it's interesting and helpful for us to understand that he's the Messiah. He's the one who saves um, all people. He's the, he's the savior of the whole world. And this is proof of it. Those who came from the east, the Magi, um, are not coming to conquer the, the people of Israel, but they're coming to worship the king. Jesus is the king of the whole world. And this is so important for us to see. And Matthew wants us to know that Jesus is not only the promised king, God with us, but he came to rescue and save all the world from sin and death. Now, after establishing that Jesus is the promised king, the Messiah who is to come, the fulfillment of prophecy, God with us, save the world, Matthew wants us to, and his Jewish leaders to also recognize that Jesus is the one who is greater than Moses. And this is where the next couple of chapters, he spends time helping us see that Jesus, king, promised Messiah, God with us. He is also greater than the Moses. He's the one who's greater than the Moses figure. And we see that in chapters two, three, and four. And this is critical as we lead up to Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount in chapter five. In Matthew chapter two, Matthew emphasizes that like Moses, Jesus was called up out of Egypt. We see this in Matthew chapter two, 13 through 18. But we also see that Jesus passed through the waters of baptism, Matthew 3, 13 through 17. That Jesus was tested in the desert for 40 days, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. And then Matthew chapter 5 through 7, Jesus goes up to a mountain to teach. So you can see the comparison that Matthew is making leading into the Sermon on the Mount. Let me show it to you again. Moses comes up out of Egypt. Jesus is called out of Egypt. Moses crossed the Red Sea, and Jesus passed through the waters of baptism. Moses was in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days. Moses receives law on a mountain. Jesus gives law on a mountain. So through all of this, Matthew is claiming that Jesus is greater than the Moses figure. And this also means that Jesus came to deliver us from slavery. He gives new divine teaching, which is what we see in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthews chapters 5 through 7, that Jesus came to save us from sin and that Jesus initiates a new covenant. When Jesus sits on the hillside in Matthew chapter 5, this is the first of five teaching sections in the book of Matthew, and he's delivering his new divine teaching because he is the greater, he is greater than Moses. So, if Jesus who is, is greater than Moses, the question is, well, what's Jesus going to be like? What is his new divine teaching going to be like? Well, it's interesting to note, when Moses brought the law, it was, don't do this, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, do this. But when Jesus sat down to deliver, to deliver his new divine teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he begins with, blessed are, blessed are blessed. So all, already we go, wow, this is a new kind of teaching. And Jesus wants to teach and give a new orientation towards the kingdom that he is bringing. 
He's the king, he's bringing a new kingdom, and he, he's delivering new divine teaching for us to understand. And it's authoritative, and it penetrates our hearts, and he's, Jesus is wanting to get us beyond the external side of faith, but to a, a, a more authentic faith, a faith that comes from the heart. And this is part of the reason why the Sermon on the Mount is so important for us to understand and how significant it is for us today. Now, those are the first four chapters of Matthew that lead into then Jesus' first great teaching that we find in Matthew's chapter 5 through 7. But then the question is, well, what is the Sermon on the Mount all about? And so what I want to do next is step back and give you a big picture overview of the Sermon on the Mount that we find in Matthew's chapters 5 through 7. So let's talk about that next. Okay, so this morning, Lisa and I hiked up Mount Airbel, which is a mountain just next to the Sea of Galilee. And this is a beautiful mountain spot because it gives a beautiful view of the entire Sea of Galilee area, which is where Jesus spent the majority of his earthly ministry. This in this area, this region of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, Mount Airbel is is a uh, commonly thought of as the place that Jesus went to. Um, he came up on a mountain and he prayed before he selected his disciples. This is likely the very spot that Jesus went up and he spent the night praying before he selected his, his disciples. Now, the reason why this is such a great spot, not only because it gives a great view, a big picture view of the Sea of Galilee, um, it, it's good because it, it. what I want to do right now is give you a big picture view of the Sermon on the Mount. It was on the Sea of Galilee that Jesus found a hillside to stop and to teach the, the, the disciples. This was his first uh, major teaching in the book of Matthew. And so what I want to do is I want to read to you, beginning in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. This is what leads right up to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, it says this, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought him all brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Then, chapter 5, this is the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 1, it says this, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So we've already established that Matthew is demonstrating that Jesus is the king and the king brings the kingdom. And now this is the first time that Jesus sits down with his disciples, the followers, and he sits down and he begins to teach about the coming kingdom, the kingdom that he brings. And the kingdom that Jesus brings is not a political kingdom, it's not a military kingdom, it's a spiritual kingdom. And Jesus is not interested in um, kind of a performance orientation, an empty religious ritual kind of spirituality. He wants real authentic faith. He wants to get to genuine spirituality, which is something that we long for as well. We don't want empty religious 
actions. We don't want to just go through motions and feel dry and unsatisfied. Jesus doesn't want that either. In the, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gets right down to, let's not, let's strip away all the the outside exterior religious activity that we do and get to the heart of what it means to have authentic faith. And that's where this is such a powerful sermon on the Mount. Now, um, one of the things that it's in terms of what's the big picture of what Jesus is trying to teach here on the Sermon on the Mount, it could be summarized in some ways by five words found in Matthew chapter six, verse eight. Jesus says these five words, and it gives a kind of a key understanding of what Jesus is wanting to get at when he's teaching those who are there gathered to listen to him on that day. This is what it says in Matthew 6, 8. These five words, do not be like them. Do not be like them. Jesus is simply saying, do not be like them. Well, who is he saying don't be like? Well, Jesus is saying to those followers, those who were gathered there today, to not be like the hypocrites the Pharisees. And the the term that he used to refer to the Pharisees so often was the term hypocrite. He doesn't want us to be hypocritical. He can. He wants authentic faith. Now, where does the word hypocrite, hypocrite come from? And why does Jesus use that term? And why does he not want us to be like hypocrites? Well, the term hypocrite goes back to the the Roman theater, the Greek theater, where actors in the Roman theater that you will see, you see here throughout uh, Israel, you'll see ruins of ancient theaters. And it was in these theaters that actors were called hypocrites. And the reason they were called hypocrites is because they would go on stage and they would hold up a mask and they would hold up various masks. And so they would hold up a, a, a massive comedy and, and they would speak and people would laugh and cheer. Then they would run off stage and bring a different mask out. And it would be a, a mask of tragedy and people would weep and mourn and jeer. And it's the mask that would been, be portrayed by the, the actor, the hypocrite. But they were, it was all about the mask and instead of what, what's, uh, what they're really be hiding behind. And Jesus calls the Pharisees hypocrites. Now, this was a particularly offensive term. We got a we got an airplane going over us. This this is real life here, um, but Jesus uses this term hypocrite, and it was a, a particularly offensive term to use towards the Pharisees. And the reason for that is because the Pharisees looked down upon the Greek theaters. He, they looked down upon those who would go and, and be a part of it. They reviled it. And so when Jesus called them hypocrites, he was using something that they, they reviled and they thought was immoral to go to the theater. And he was using that term to say, you guys are hypocrites. You guys are the ones that are hiding behind masks. You're putting up a false spirituality, an external performance um, show religion. And Jesus is saying, I'm not interested in performance in a show, relit spirituality. I want authentic faith. I want to get to the heart. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Jesus is saying, I want you to be different. I don't want you to have an external religious faith, a, a, a show religion. I want to transform your heart. So he says, do not be like them. I want you to be different. To be a part of my kingdom means you're different. And how do we be different? Well, we're different only through faith in Jesus Christ, dependence upon him that we, and, and Jesus talks about that where we need to depend on him. He talks about prayer. He talks about getting to the heart of the law where we're dependent upon God because we can't do it on our own. But if we listen to the teaching of Jesus, it's like the wise person who built their house on a rock. 
that foundation. And this is what Jesus wants. He wants us to truly hear and listen to his teaching of what authentic faith really looks like. And so over the course of this sermon series together, we're going to be talking about what Jesus teaches us to have a real authentic faith, not a, a show or a hypocritical faith, but he wants to get to the heart and transform us from the inside out. So the question is, how can we be preparing for this this Bible study series as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. And let me give you a couple of ways that you can be preparing. First of all, I want you to come to this Bible study series week after week humbly. Come humbly. Come with the recognition that, yes, God, I need you to, to look into my heart and show me where I'm hypocritical. Show me where I'm putting up a performance, putting up an exterior uh, religion, uh, religious or spirituality, but I want you to get to the heart and show me where I'm hypocritical and give me a true authentic faith that honors you, that you want in your kingdom. So come humbly week after week and allow God to speak and to penetrate your heart because it's there that you'll find freedom and true joy. The second thing, that I want to encourage you to do is I want you to pray. The prayer that I told you that I'm praying from the very beginning when I came here and I want us to continue to pray. This is the prayer. God, do all that you need to do in me so that you can do all that you want to do through me. Come with an attitude of saying, God, I need you to transform my heart. Do what you need to do in me. Show me the ways where I need to strip away the false religion, false spirituality, to get to the heart of what you are seeking in your kingdom from your followers. Do what you need to do in me so that you can do all that you want to do through me. It's a scary prayer, but it's a, it's a freeing prayer because God wants to transform our lives. So come humbly and pray. And the second thing, the third thing I wanted to encourage you to do is, is read along with us. Read through the, the Sermon on the Mount, the passages as we go through them. Um, and I want you to, to uh, do it, if you can, with people. Talk about it. So I encourage you to, to talk about it within your life group and say, how, are we, how can we learn from this together? And then if you're not in a life group, I encourage you to be in a life group or find people that you can just um, interact with. There's two great resources that God, three great resources really that God has given us. He's given us his Holy Spirit to speak to us. He's given us his word and he's given us his people. And so as we come with all three of those, God, it's your word, speak to me. It's your Holy Spirit that you need, that is working inside to transform me and make me more and more like you. And it's your people, the community that you've given me to interact with, to learn in community so we can grow together. So I just want to encourage you with that. And, and I want you to, I want to encourage you to come back week after week so that we can continue to grow and learn together through this incredible message that Jesus has for his disciples then and for today. Let me take a moment and let me pray for us right now. God, I thank you so much for the fact that you're a God who transforms. You transformed Matthew and you turned his life around. And Lord, we ask that you would do the same with us, that you would transform us from the inside out, that you would change us. And so we pray that scary prayer right now together, God, that you would do all that you need to do in us so that you can do all that you want to do through us, both individually and as a church, so that we could honor you, so that we could make an impact for you. And we can live in freedom, not hiding behind masks, not hiding behind performance or things that we think will, will fill us, but only leave us empty, but get to true 
authentic faith that honors you, that pleases you, and brings us joy. God, I pray this in your name. Amen.